0: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to a new political podcast here in the Central Valley. Reach across Fresno. Our goal here is to educate and talk about local and national elections from now till Election Day in a limited series form. My name is Isaac. Uh, I'm a former candidate who lost by 200 votes in March, unfortunately. I'm now a former DNC delegate for Independent Senator Bernie Sanders in 2020, a admitted Democratic politics journeyman through any and all campaigns here in my young life, and a former host of a political uh, podcast that I hosted with my dear friend Luke Colvard, called Straight Ahead to the Left. But now I am joined today in our new show, Reach Across Fresno, by my dear friend Nav. Introduce yourself, my friend. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for that great introduction, Isaac. Hello, Reach Across Fresno listeners. My name is Navkaran Groom. I go by Nav. A little bit about myself. I am a lifelong Fresno County resident. I am currently a college student at UCLA, and. Over the course of my young career, I've been fortunate to intern and volunteer for various local political campaigns, as well as intern for various local electeds here in Fresno County, as well as in LA. Um, This is my first time podcasting and really, really excited for this. And I want to begin by giving a warm welcome to our two guests here with us. We have James Martinez and Blake Zanti, both candidates for local office this November. And with that, now I'm going to kick it off with James. James, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Well, now and Isaac, thanks for having me uh, on your program tonight. It's a pleasure to be with you both. Um, yeah, I've, been, I've obviously followed both of you uh, and Young Dems and Isaac. <coughs> you used to be one of my interns <laughs> in Senator Harris's office. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, just a little bit about myself. Yes, I am a candidate for the Fresno County Board of Education in Area 3. Um I have lived in Fresno all my life and have attended Fresno schools, such as Fresno High, went to Fresno City College, transferred to Fresno State, where I received my undergraduate degree in political science. Um, I went into the professional field and became a professional staffer, uh, working for, most recently, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, who is our, who I hope to be our next Vice President of the United States, and her Central Valley field office covering the Central Valley and Central Coast. Uh, I have then. I have now moved on, and now am the uh, district re- representative for Senator Melissa Hurtado in the California State Senate, covering Fresno and Tulare counties. Um, in between then uh, and now, I uh, received my graduate my graduate degree at the University of Southern California in communications management, um, and now decided to take a deep dive into politics further and run for office.
0: Right on my uh, former boss. Uh-huh. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll go now to our uh, our wild card of the evening here, Mr. Blake Zante. Blake, how are you doing tonight? Introduce yourself, a friend.
3: Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that, that introduction. Um, thanks, Isaac and Nav, for uh, having me on your, your podcast. I really like the premise. Um, and even though I'm outnumbered as the uh, only Republican here, it's a pleasure to be with you guys and James as well. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, I am a candidate for uh, Fresno County. Uh, Board of Education District 2 and um, I'm born born and raised in Fresno. I've lived in Fresno for uh, mostly all my life um, except for a a brief stint in Sacramento um, where I was a um, after I graduated from Fresno State I did the um, senate fellowship program at the state capitol Um, and that's kind of um, how I got my current job today. Um, I kind of transitioned in and, and moved back to Fresno Working in our district office um, for Senator Andre State Senator Andreas Burgess. so we are neighbors with uh, James and Senator Hurtado's district, and um, really enjoy working with their office on on stuff as well. And so, um, just a little bit why I'm running for um, the Board of Education seat. Um, you know, both my parents are are teachers. They've been teachers um, for over two decades, at least my dad has, in the, um, the Clovis Unified School District, and so that kind of inspired me um, ever since I was young, and then being involved in higher ed advocacy and student government at Fresno State, just kind of really um, had a passion for education, and um, I think that's kind of what inspired me to want to serve in this capacity and explore this role, and so now I am a candidate.
0: All righty, uh, thank you for the introduction. Now, uh, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to go over your two respective races later on, but the biggest political news out of this past week here, uh, we would be ignorant to ignore it here, is the DNC convention that was held virtually this year. I'd like to get your thoughts first on uh, how you think, predominantly James, because I know you are <laughs> the Democrat here uh, that's running for election. Sorry, my friend. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on the convention, how the flow went. Your thoughts on the speakers, uh, Vice President Biden's performance, and the selection of Kamala Harris and her speech, and just things of that nature. I just want to get a feel how you felt the convention went this past week.
2: I think for the first virtual convention, you know, it, it went off pretty seamlessly. Um, you know, it, it's it, these are challenging times, uh, and obviously, COVID nineteen has created a paradigm shift in how we communicate and connect with others and people, and uh, particularly our constituencies that we all serve. And so I think that, you know, the DNC pulled it off really well. I, there's always gonna be criticisms uh, about how things could have been done differently. Uh, I, for one, being former president of Fresno County Young Democrats, know what that's like. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they seem to have pulled off a really good convention. You know, I think, uh, Vice President Biden uh, provided, uh, did a really good job. He nailed his speech. He hit every point. He really connected with people, uh, particularly myself in certain uh, parts of his speech uh, that really hit home runs for me. Uh, and I think it really resonated with a lot of uh, the electorate who are are looking for something different. Um, and as far as the selection of Senator Harris goes, you know, I mean, I know that she wasn't a lot of progressives' first pick, but, you know, she is a juggernaut and she is an all-star. You know, the the Biden-Harris ticket raised $48 million in the first 48 hours when she was selected as the VP nominee. Um, You know, and and she's able to coalesce and bring together and bridge uh, former divisions within the Democratic Party uh, alongside to Joe Biden, who otherwise probably wouldn't have acquiesced as much as they as much as they are if she hadn't been on a ticket and she's personable she's Mamala, she you know she she has a contagious laugh which i've always loved being a former staffer of hers uh you know she she's very personable and i think she represents a new generation of politics as well as leadership that this country is really looking for as well as with young people and everyone in between
0: all right perfect real quick i want to do a how do I say this, a humanizing tangent here. Uh, we were at Young Dems, and you know the story all too well. We were at the Young Dem convention last June in, <laughs> you know the story I'm gonna talk this. about, yes. in San Francisco. <laughs> and one of our friends who lives down in Visalia, his name's Cameron, he was just walking the halls and he spotted, he said he spotted a small, a smaller woman just kind of walking around with handlers. And he looks over and it's Senator Harris, he, de- he grabs a picture, heads over a little later to the Young Dems convention and comes to show James and I. He goes, look who I met in the hallway. At this point, I was maybe two or three months out of my internship under James for Senator Harris. James was still working for Senator Harris at the time. And we look at each other like, what did you just do without us? And we get up, we book out of there. I remember James saying, I'm just going to go check in with the president real quick. And you went to check in. We sprinted out and went through probably every single caucus we could find to go find Senator Harris. But with zero luck the entire
2: time. (laughs) I think we missed her by like at least... 30 30 to 60 seconds every place we tried to find her like we ran around like headless chickens all around that convention center just to find her and it
0: it wasn't even during the young dems portion too we continued this into the (laughs) night this was an hours long situation here we were trying to find the senator
2: it was a mission but you know what uh we have a story and it's a great memory to to talk about and so
0: (laughs) A a lot of funny memories that came out of that specific chain of events to find senator harris but i just wanted to I just wanted to put that one out there real quick now um to you blick i have a question for you so a lot of this week's convention was geared towards uniting not just progressives and and the centrist wing of the democratic party although i didn't feel that it was really sufficient enough there wasn't enough progressive speakers i won't have you speak to that there was a lot of republican outreach uh former defense secretary colin powell or he was might have been secretary of state my apologies if i'm getting that wrong here uh, Governor, former Governor John Kasich of Ohio and Meg Whitman and a few other prominent names of the Republican Party throughout the years. What was your thoughts on the Republican outreach from this week's DNC, and do you think that it may or may not play efficient, or what were your initial thoughts seeing it unravel this past week?
3: That's a good question, and uh, to be frank, I don't know if I've digested my own thoughts about it quite yet. Um, but I think, you know, it was really interesting to see um, Republicans, and, and Republicans that I would say I, I respect, um, I have a lot of respect for who, um, you know, joined in, in the DNC convention. Um, I, you know, I think that it will probably, I think there are some, you know, voters on, on both sides that are probably on the fence trying to decide, and, and they they won't know really until they're looking at their ballot and they're trying to think about, you know, the pros and cons. And that's kind of what the average voter does, it seems like. Um, and, you know, I think that it'll definitely be interesting to see if it sways any Republicans, especially moderate Republicans who maybe uh, disagree with some of uh, the president's policies. Um, I think only time will tell. And, you know, any... My my saying is anything can happen before November, so um, you know anything could it could totally change in the next couple of months. So we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Blake, just out of curiosity, um, how much of the convention did you have a chance to watch?
3: I watched a little bit of the speeches. I unfortunately I did not watch the entire thing. It's been a little bit of a crazy work week, um, but you know I think that both, I think that the speeches were were definitely powerful. Um, I think that, you know, they, they were definitely are, are influential and would be moving to voters. Um, and so, you know, it was a, it was a pretty big lineup for the DNC. I would say, um, as a, as a Republican, I was impressed to see all of the different, um, figures in the party coming together to, um, give speeches and, uh, and, and just kind of give a rallying cry. And, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, what, um, Republicans are going to do come November as well.
1: And to follow up on that, what I'm curious about is how moderate Republican and independent voters will respond to this democratic effort by extending a hand, um, to, to these voters, by inviting prominent Republicans to come speak at the DNC and also, um, how they'll respond to groups like the Lincoln project and Republican voters against Trump that are being massive, uh, ad buys across swing States and the country. Um, so, so I'd like to get your thoughts on that as a Republican. And also if you feel comfortable, I'd like to, um, know how you plan to cast your ballot this November.
3: Sure. Um, you know, honestly, I, I kind of wait until, um, it gets a little bit closer to make that decision. Um, that's what I, I kind of do with every election. Um, no matter what the, the race is, just cause I, I kind of want to see, you know, everybody lay out their arguments and everybody kind of lay out their, um and, and kind of see how their campaign goes. Um, so um, I'm not, I'm not sure yet, honestly, with the Lincoln project, um, I would say it's really interesting because it's gained a lot of following among moderate Republicans across the country. Um, and so I think that that's going to be a factor for sure. Um, a lot of independents and Republicans who traditionally decide a lot of presidential elections and, and national races? Um, those are the those are the people the people that are in the middle, honestly, that do end up swaying it. Um, and so I think it it will just depend on whether those voters end up turning out and if they're in states that are contested in um, the election. And so. Um, you know, I know that some of the leaders of the Lincoln project, um, I know like Mike Madrid, um, he's from California and, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if, you know, if his California following will bring anything to the Lincoln project and influence the vote at all. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious myself just as a, somebody who studies politics, um, to kind of see how it, how it turns out. Um, it'll be, it'll be fascinating either way.
0: All righty. Uh, thank you for that. Real, um, that insight there. I do want to ask you a question, though, to kind of pivot back to talking, or not really pivot, because we're still on the subject of Republicans uh, influencing moderate Republicans to vote for, for Joe Biden in this situation. There's been a tone, though, by predominantly led by John Kasich of vote for him. He's not going to move to the left. Now, for a progressive like me, as I've stated before, I was a delegate for Senator Sanders this past year for in the DNC, although I didn't get to make the travel. And that's something I'm really banking on is for him to move left. So when I hear people like uh, like Governor Kasich or Meg Whitman or the former New-, New Jersey governor from years yonder say, vote for him, moderate Republicans, just return to normalcy. And don't worry, he's not going to move left. You're still going to get an effective moderate Republican in office. Do you Do you believe he's going to be more on your side than he would be inching over to where I lean into the, the Democratic Party?
3: I don't. I, I'm not sure. I think, you know, I think it ha- there's an interesting dynamic there with, um, you know, him picking Senator Harris as his running mate. Um, I think it'll depend on a few factors. I think it'll depend on who he selects as his, his team, his cabinet um, to run the administration. Um, so I think it, it, it's, it'll be tough to say. I think that For the most part, generally, um, in my opinion, most presidents, even though they do lean a little bit left or a little bit right, um, with a few exceptions, obviously, that I think that most of the time they are kind of, they stay a little bit centrist um, because, you know, they're trying to lead the entire country. Um, Obviously, there are exceptions to that. But I think that even, you know, I think even Obama to an extent, um, President Obama, I think he was kind of centrist in a way as well. So um, I think it'll just really depend on the team that he or that uh, Joe Biden selects if he wins in November. Um, And, you know, I think that overall, the country does kind of push presidents generally um, to be in the middle. So um, it's, it's very possible, I would say.
1: Yeah, Blake, I, I think you make a great point there. It's going to be interesting to see who Joe Biden and Kamala Harris really decide to surround themselves with. And kind of since we have a former Kamala staffer here, um, James, I want to get your perspective. Uh, wh- which way do you think um, Joe Biden and Kamala go? Do they go and pick um, you know, uh, people from more of the left wing of the party? Or, or did we just see... Um, with the DNC, did, did we see how their administration is going to look like? Is it going to look like their DNC lineup with, with a few Republicans even in there? Um, so, James, uh, why, don't, why don't you tackle it?
2: Well, I agree with Blake that, you know, more often than not, presidents, um, obviously, with some exceptions, straddle uh, the middle to try and represent the majority of the country. Um, I think a lot of it really depends on the make of a Congress um and what obstacles that 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 brings along with it you know i mean obama had you know both chambers of congress when he was first elected and there were you know obstacles concerning one party rule and then uh republicans took over and created even more obstacles um simply because they they had that power i I honestly think it really depends on the makeup of congress I think with the addition of Senator Harris to the ticket, um, I don't think that's, uh, as well as whatever the makeup of the cabinet is, which you know we're all seeing stories on Politico and the Hill and various other news outlets, that you know Vice President Biden is going to be as modern as we think. Um, I I think with Senator Harris and several others, you know he might be more progressive than people might think or portray him as to be. Um, But I I honestly really just think it it, it depends on the makeup of Congress and what the new Congress is going to look like, because that's really going to make or break either, you know, whether President Trump stays in office or, you know, if Vice President uh, Biden wins in November.
3: I think that's a really good point, actually, um, that I forgot to kind of mention is I think it really does depend on uh, the makeup of Congress as well, um, just because I think... We've seen in like the modern presidency, um, a shift towards more um, executive action, um, whether it be from, you know, any of the list of modern presidents that we've had in our country. And so I think that, you know, it really does depend on how Congress is going to either react or um, how they're going to act if they're going to be passing legislation that's in line with whether it be you know Trump or Biden, whoever's in office, um, and if not, then we could see a you know a president that is maybe frustrated with Congress, takes more executive action, and depending on that, it goes back to that administration. Depending on the individuals that are surrounding and influencing policymaking at the executive level, um, I think that will also influence whether or not there's a more centrist perspective or right or left, um, and so I think. It it really does go back to Congress, who's leading it, and who is um, in control.
0: All right. Now, I want to stick with you, Blake, because now we're going to pivot out of my party into your party now. This coming week here, as the, uh, I think the baseball thing is a home field uh, or home team back second. So, it looks like here, you guys now are going to have closing weekend. Your thoughts on the speakers, because <laughs> as a Democrat, I can tell you, kind of a doozy here to see um, – the the couple that waved the the guns at the protesters and the kid from Covington it just from my again I'm a, a progressive liberal near dem social democrat so for me to see that I think I look at that and I think Joe Biden just went out of his way to go get to the other party I think Donald Trump's just merely trying to hold his base I don't even think I know he's just trying to hold his base and this is how he fundraises so for you as a Republican I want to get your thoughts on what you think next week is going to look like for your party. And if you think that it's going to be valuable outreach for coming from a president that has yet to attempt to unite the country within these four years he's been president.
3: That's a good question. Um, And you're you're making me just self-reflect as well. Um, I think I honestly, I haven't seen a list of speakers. Do you have it in front of you by chance? I haven't.
0: I did. Let me pull it up. Okay. I, I did have it real quick here, but I know it, it's going to consist of uh, first lady, first lady Melania Trump, Kellyanne Conway, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy. Um, let's see here. Let me get the. Let me get, pull up the list here. I'm just okay. spitballing the ones that I know off the top of my head here.
3: No worries. Well, kind of maybe while you're doing that, um, I guess yeah. I think you know it's kind of been um, something that's been the president's campaign tactics since I think you know 2016. 2015, when he started, um, was kind of appealing to, um, his base, um, you know, just object, objectively speaking, I think that he's really, um, maintained that tactic, um, trying to turn out voters that are, are strong supporters of his, in his base. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not too surprised about that. Um, you know, I don't really expect, (laughs) I don't foresee, um, President Trump being somebody who is inviting, you know, Democrats to come and speak at the the Republican convention. Uh, that's, I don't, I would be very surprised if, um, if that did happen. Um, but, you know, I think that that is where it, it is fascinating to see if it really will influence um, the DNC, getting those moderate Republicans to come over, influencing voters in the middle. Um, and, you know, or... Will there be enough voters that turn out in the president's base to be able to overtake that?
0: All right. Now, as you were speaking about that, I did was able to pull up a list of uh, of the speakers here. We have Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, who's facing a very tough re-election in the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative Matt Gates, former UN Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Abby and Alice Johnson. If I'm, uh, I forget who they are. To be honest with you, I barely hear that name. Uh, Kevin McCarthy from the 21st, or not the 21st, I believe he's the 23rd district. My apologies there, TJ. Um, Patricia and Mark McCloskey, uh, Mitch McConnell, South Dakota, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Mike Pence, Andrew Polak, Nick Sandman, the Covington Kid, Tim Scott, Donald, and Melania Trump. That looks to be the list there. So you see those names and what sticks out to me is a lot of the the Republicans that are up for re-election, predominantly in the Senate and in difficult House races that are not going to be speaking at this event, the one that sticks out for me is Martha McSally, who Donald Trump went out to bat for in Arizona, Tom Tillis, who was relatively popular in the party, and figures like that, or even Cory Gardner, who's effectively fighting on for his political life, or even for that matter, Jeff Sessions, who lost his primary, or Toby Tuberman from Alabama, who's going to be assuming the Alabama Senate seat, if he defeats Doug Jones, so I see that, and I see a list of real like figures in the like the congressional the Republican caucus in Congress, and I think is this how toxic the president is to that he doesn't feel comfortable without bringing the leaders out and not individuals? So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that.
3: Um, I so I think I so if I'm thinking about your question a little bit, I think that it's not necessarily a toxicity thing. I think it's more of a strategy thing. I think that, you know, these, the Republicans that you mentioned that are maybe in a little bit more, um, they're in contested seats, contested races, they might be trying to focus more on their individual, um, whether it be district or state. Um, And so, you know, maybe if they represent a more moderate seat, just like if a, you know, say a Democrat represented a more moderate seat, they may not want to be associated with you know some of the you know the leaders in the democratic party i think that could be this the case maybe for some of the um, representatives in the republican party as well Um, it's kind of like a balancing act and they're trying to you know maybe they're not super involved or, or they weren't invited to be able to uh you know come and speak even but um that would be my guess um Obviously, I don't know that for sure, but I'm just kind of assuming that, you know, even here in California, there are, you know, Democrats and Republicans um, at all levels of government who represent more moderate seats. And so I think, you know, they they try to toe that line of not being seen as a hyper partisan individual and trying to be seen as okay. I'm I'm working across the aisle and trying to accomplish these things on behalf of my constituents.
0: All righty. Well, sounds good. I'm going to throw it to Nav cuz Nav is now going to take over the next portion here or real quick before we actually do that Nav, James, I just want to get your thoughts on the <laughs> upcoming show that's going to be the Republican convention next uh, next week there. And then we'll get to discussing your guys's respective
2: Uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. You know, I I always try and tune into uh, both conventions. Obviously, I am more interested in, you know, uh, the Democratic convention, but it's always interesting to watch the Republicans. Um, I'm curious to see how they're going to practice and do this with respect to COVID and social distancing. Uh, And honestly, I think it's just going to be one big political ad for President Trump. And touting everything that he has supposedly done uh, in the past four years, um, and and making him look, for the lack of a better phrase, better than what he actually is. Um, you know, I I, I I I I cannot see a more I cannot see more of a contrast between two political candidates in this day and age than Joe, than Vice President Biden and President Trump. I mean you literally have to be sleeping under a rock in order not to make the difference between the two. And, you know, especially with, you know, Senator Harris being added to the ticket, you know, it obviously adds more excitement and a greater facilitated engagement, you know, with young people, moderates, uh, and even some conservatives who are just tired of, not just tired, but exhausted of the show that's been going on for the past three years. Um, you know, it, it, I just, From a communications perspective, it would be really hard to sell the last three years to the American public uh, and why this particular person uh, deserves to have their contract renewed with America for another four years.
0: All righty. Thank you, James. Now we're going to throw it to Nav, who's going to be taking over the majority of this section. Nav, all you, my man.
1: So kind of moving into the next part of the show, you both are candidates for Fresno County Board of Education. Um, Blake in Area 2, James in Area 3. Um, we already touched on this in the beginning, but I want to give you both a chance to just elaborate on what brought you into this race and what change you'd like to see as future trustees.
2: Well, perfect. Thank you Nav. Um, so I, I jumped into the race because, uh, I had been considering jumping in, uh, actually for a while now. And, you know, I felt that it was just the right time to do so. Uh, I felt that my personal story, as well as my professional and academic experience, make me well-qualified to assume this seat. Uh, you know, I, uh, I believe I bring a unique perspective on governance when it comes to, uh, you know, how to facilitate ordinances and legislation, as well as, you know, listening to different constituency groups. Um, you know, I I, and I feel like my life story also reflects that of many Fresno County students, where you know I grew up in a single parent, low income family household that suffered from food, housing, and transportation insecurities, which I know a lot of students, uh, you know, have the same insecurities as well, and that that could be prohibitive um, to academic success overall. But it can also be compounded also in this day and age with respect to COVID uh, nineteen, where we where this particular pandemic has created a paradigm shift in how we instruct our students and how we deliver education to them. It's, you know, as as imperfect, as perfectly imperfect as, you know, online distance learning is, it's something that we have to begin integrating into our educational system and begin adapting uh, not only staff, but teachers as well as students, you know, to begin participating and facilitating that type of learning for them. Uh, it, it's, it's not easy. There are a lot of inequities involved with it, you know, such as urban, versus rural districts, you know, the technological and digital, digital divide, as well as access to free broadband and internet access, um, you know, as well as, you know, whether you have homes where you have a single parent who have several children and they work full-time or they work full-time plus another job, and they can't necessarily help facilitate that, that educational process for their, uh, their children, or you have you know, a double income household where both parents work. And so that's where you have to start thinking outside the box where you know we have buses that are not being used, obviously, because you can't transport large amounts of students to different uh, school districts or school sites, and those can be used as mobile hotspots, particularly in areas where students don't have access to internet. Um, and you know, even if even if you did public-private partnerships with uh, you know telecommunications companies, where you gave families, low-income families or disadvantaged families, uh, discounts on their their services, you know, even if it's ten dollars, that may be the last ten dollars that family has uh, at the end of the month, and you know that could be either a last meal or something else. And I know that for sure because you know, living with my mother growing up, sometimes all you had was rice and beans to make it to the end of the next paycheck, and you had to make that last. And so we have to start thinking about things like that. And in terms of families that, you know, aren't able to necessarily watch over their their children and participating in online distance learning, you know, you could also develop co-ops within neighborhoods or within certain areas where you have certain people who Are able to facilitate that learning process and take turns and rotate that that responsibility to ensure that students are participating in in their education as well as doing the work and staying on task. Um, And those are just things that you have to to think about. Um, We also have to start advocating more for federal programs such as AVID, TRIO, and Upper Bound programs that help. Low-income first-generation college students not only navigate the college application process, but help them apply for financial aid and other student support service programs that are essential to their success simply because without them, they probably would never, never otherwise uh, be exposed to higher education. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, a four-year university or graduate school is for everyone. I, I, I have family members where that has not worked for them. But they have gone to trade and professional careers uh, and, and uh, trade and vocational programs where, you know, you know, I, I one of my tenets of my platform is identifying students in middle school and high school where you know if they if, if they feel that college is not for them, then start identifying courses for them to take in order to facilitate their entrance into. A vocational program immediately upon graduation from high school so that when they enter those programs they have a job waiting for them uh, upon graduation from those programs and you know with Central Valley with the economic outlook of the Central Valley you know those programs are essential in providing essential jobs in critical areas that we need to diversify our economy in and so you know it's, it's things like that that we have to start pushing and advocating for um, that I don't believe that are, that our that is happening at the moment. Awesome. Sorry. Thank you. Jane.
1: No, that was great. <laughs> and then Blake, um, same question that you just kind of elaborate what got you into the race and then, um, what, what change you'd like to bring once you're a uh, trustee.
0: And real quick, before you begin, we should also preference that they are running in different districts. If we haven't said it earlier, they are not running against each other. Believe me, our show is not that important yet that we're getting two candidates head on head here. Uh, but just clarify, you're running in district two, I believe. Correct. Blake.
3: That's correct. Yeah. And good thing I'm not running against James cause, uh, that would, that would be a, definitely a challenge. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I just want to say, um, yeah, um, you know, pretty much a little bit about me. Um, I was born and raised here in Fresno. Um, what kind of inspired me to get involved in the board of education, um, trustee race is I come from a family of, um, educators. Um, beyond just my, my parents, uh, my sister's currently studying to be a teacher. Uh, I have aunts and uncles that are teachers. I, there are a lot of teachers in my family. So I'm, I'm pretty blessed to um, have had that as a, uh, as a kind of an educational resource, I guess, growing up. Um, and so, you know, I think, but there's also a lot of um, kids out there that don't have that resource. Um, and so, you know, I want to make sure that um, our education system, as somebody who, you know, just Within the last 10 years, was in a public school in Fresno County. Um, you know, I think I can bring a different perspective to the board. Um, some, you know, some of the the problems that have been um, exposed by by COVID, and I say exposed because they we've had a lot of underlying problems, but they've you know they've always been there. But I think COVID has kind of exacerbated those those issues, and and some of them James touched on as well. Um, so um, I'm running to kind of be an advocate. Um, if, if there's anything we've seen, for sure, um, it's COVID has shown us that the Valley's economy is fragile. Um, you know, a lot of people have, um, and I'm sure James um, in his, his professional capacities has gotten this as well, but a lot of people have, have called, um, you know, ED, they're trying to get through to EDD, they're, they're unable to get unemployment because they've lost their job. Um, And the valley economy only has a few major job sectors. And so, um, you know, I think that's where we need to look at our education system and say, you know, how can we not only provide resources to students and families that need them, but also, you know, how can we rethink the economy in in the valley? Um, We pretty much have three sectors, agriculture, healthcare, government, and then, you know, business and so on and so on. Those are kind of the major sectors that we have. So you know, I want to be a voice for vocational education, job training, um, you know, career tech education. I think those are great programs. Um, I also want to make sure that students are uh, getting—they have a pathway to college, should they choose that path. I think it is important to make sure that students know the options available to them, and we have so many world-class universities in our backyard, UC Merced. Fresno State, Fresno Pacific, um, Clovis community, Fre- uh, l- the list is endless. Um, and so, you know, we need to make sure students know they have those options. Um, and I think also just, um, the third tenant of my campaign is making sure that students have the tools and the climate to succeed. Um, and so, you know, that's both in, um, and outside of the classroom and, um, this is our future. So, um, you know, I think that, we gotta, we have to work together on that. And I don't think it's a, um, It's something that, you know, is a partisan role. And I think that this is an opportunity to um, work together and, and help kids and families in our community. Thank you, Blake. Uh, really looking forward to
1: hearing more about your candidacy. And then moving back to James. Uh, James, so I know it's been a concern on the mind of many local Democrats that you're challenging an appointing incumbent, uh, Trustee Darren Miller. Um, do you want to take a moment to just address these concerns?
2: Sure. So um, yes, the current incumbent is is an appointee, and you know it's. I've heard every single thing in the book about you know my my so-called challenge against him, but to me, honestly, it is more of an open race simply because he has not been elected in his own right. Um, And to be quite honest, you know, I respect Darren and I think he's a great guy and I think he's had a very, um, you know, good career in education. However, it's been storied and, you know, Darren has run for multiple offices and, uh, you know, this past, this most recent, you know, there have been two or three and the voters have said no. And so this is technically an open election, which you know, had he been elected in his own right, I probably wouldn't be doing this. But since, you know, it, it, he was appointed, you know, it's really up to the voters in the district to decide who they want or who they think is best uh, able to represent them on, on, this, on this board. And to be honest, this is, you know, not a black versus brown issue, and I'm not going to turn it into that. This is based on merits and qualifications. And professional history, uh, we both bring a very unique perspective on how to govern um, as well as campaign. You know, I we are both people of color. Uh, I represent ad- another additional constituency, which is the LGBTQ community, which I also think I also think is an added value to my campaign because that specific constituency isn't really well represented on a lot of boards or councils or you know in the legislatures throughout this area. So it's, you know, I understand it it creates a tough choice um, for local Democrats, but, you know, it's not like this has been unprecedented where there hasn't been a Dem on Dem race before. Um, So this is not a singular issue. This has happened in the past, even most recently in the primaries. So, you know, it's it's I think it's just a matter when all it comes down to is a matter of perspective, and qualifications and merits.
1: Awesome. Thank you for answering that, James. Hopefully that clears things up for a lot of people. And moving back to Blake, um, GV Wire had reported how you flirted with um, filing before you had actually filed. And this was also kind of pointing out, pointed out on social media. And the way I've interpreted it thus far is you went on Thursday, you filed, and then you rescinded your... Um, filing that same day. And then during the extension period, you came back and and filed on Tuesday. So this left a lot of people confused, including myself. So if if you want to just take a moment and and explain what happened.
3: Sure. Um, Yeah, I, um, I did do that. I submitted my application on Thursday. Um, I was kind of, I was eager, I was ready to go. And uh, I didn't, I didn't file any like official candidate paperwork until um, the, the, the following Tuesday. Um, so that's when I became, I guess, an official candidate. Um, but, you know, quite honestly, I was, I was eager and I just had to, you know, talk to um, my fiance about it and my, my family um, because running for public office is not a, you know, it's just not a walk in the park undertaken, undertaking. And so um, I kind of, you know, I wanted to get their go ahead, honestly, um, first before I just jumped in and, and went for this. And so that's kind of where I was like, Oh, you know, you know, maybe, maybe I need to wait, maybe I need to hold off um, because if I don't have their support. Uh, they're, they're the biggest endorsements you can have is your, your close friends and family, <laughs> honestly, that, that matters. So, um, so that's kind of why I, as David Taub, uh, my, my good friend, David Taub, we put it played hokey pokey. Um, I kind of laughed at that, but um, you know, I think that, um it's, it's just important to have supportive, you know, friends and family first before you decide to do something like this.
0: And
1: my second question for you, um, there were two other candidates who had filed or taken out a candidate application. Um, Gail Gaston filed weeks in advance. Um, she was the only candidate in this race for a while. And then there was another young Republican who had at least taken out a candidate application um and gail gaston dropped out on the last day and the other candidate did not end up qualifying for the ballot so my question for you there is was there any coordination amongst your campaigns and their potential campaigns um to lead them to make those decisions or did they make those decisions independently
3: uh no um there was not i uh you know, I, I thought, honestly, I thought it was going to be me and Gail Gaston. Quite frankly, I think everybody did. Um, I, um, I respect Gail Gaston. You know, I think she's, she's been around in this community for a long time. Um, I don't know the other gentleman who, um, submitted a candidate application and then didn't file paperwork. Um, so, um, now it's just me and, um, and another candidate that are running for the seat. So, um, yeah, so I'm just, Looking forward to running a, a good race. Thank you for that. And now I want to get both your perspectives on schools
1: reopening. Um, recently, this has been a highly controversial topic locally. I mean, we had uh, Clovis schools try to reopen before the governor came in and had shut them down. Uh, right now, we currently have at least two schools locally that are just defying county orders and still continuing in-person learning. Um, that is a manual in Reedley. And then we have Clovis Christian. Um, there might be a third one that I'm not aware of currently, and so, so I want to get your takes on what the future of education looks like during this pandemic, and also if and when you would be supportive of reopening in-person learning.
2: Well, if, I, I'll go first. I, I think first and foremost, you know, in terms of reopening, uh, you have to take in consideration the safety of students, staff, and faculty. Uh, you know, COVID nineteen is 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 something serious that we all have to, you know, take in consideration in our daily lives and start integrating certain, you know, social aspects uh, into our everyday lives. And you know, if it if if it's not safe and the numbers aren't decreasing and you know the the cases continue to rise, then you know our our responsibility in representing students, you know, is to put them first and to ensure that their safety comes first as well and if it's not safe for schools to open then schools should not be open i understand that there's an eagerness to to open pre uh, preemptively but again you know this is a huge public safety crisis and it, it, it's a cult it's called a pandemic for a reason and if we're not following the guidelines in which the state uh, is 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 implementing regardless of whether we agree with them or not. You know, Fresno County is never going to get off the watch list, uh, as well as you know its neighboring counties and, and, and its counterparts throughout the state. So we have to be diligent and we have to write this out as long as we can, uh, and adhere to social dis- distancing and the guidelines that are being implemented by the state. Um, if we want to reopen sooner, it, it, it's just it's it's a fact of life at the moment. And if people haven't adapted by now, it is mind-boggling to me as to why they haven't, uh, and it, it really is just something that that is non-negotiable—at least on my part.
1: And Blake, your thoughts on the same question: just reopening and staying closed?
3: It's it's such a it's such a tricky issue, honestly. Um, you know, I think there's no question that there are that students lo- they learn better in person. Um, When they have that in-person interaction with their teacher and their peers and they're they're not only learning, you know, academically, but socially and, you know, they're they're, you know, interacting in in, in those ways. And and schools provide physically as sites, I think, a lot of important um, services as well, um, especially in detecting child abuse and, you know, those those kinds of things. Um, But, you know, James, I would agree with James. as much as you know, it's so hard right now for working parents, and it's 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 tough for a lot of families. But you know, this the pandemic is serious. The numbers in Fresno County are increasing. Um, we have to look at the data. Um, you know, as we may hate the data, we may think that you know this whole thing sucks. Sorry for you know putting it so bluntly, but you know that's the reality that we're in. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're protecting um, our, our community um, because, you know, as somebody whose parents are our teachers, um, you know, I think you, we also have to look out um, for the safety of our teachers. And they're, they're dying to get back in the classroom and teach and, and be, be there because that's what they love doing. They love seeing their kids. Um, but, you know, we have to acknowledge the reality and hopefully if we do, we can get out of this thing and everyone can jump back into school next semester and we can get back to normal. And that would be like my absolute hope, but have to look at the data.
0: All righty. Well, thank you for that, Blake. Real quick before you go, cause uh, I know you are a Fresno state alumni and I wanted to bring something up to you. That's been going on. That's been actually fairly nationally politicized as well. That also can touch here at home. Uh, Mountain West football got canceled this year, unfortunately. I don't know if it's more cancellation than it is postponement. I just want to get your thoughts on on how, what you think no football in Fresno is going to affect our local economy and how it affects more or less the morale of Fresno State students and alumni.
3: Well, it's definitely going to impact all those things, honestly. I think, um, you know, I love going to the football games, personally. They're a lot of fun. Um, I It's my understanding that they bring in about 15 million dollars in revenue um, so this is going to have a huge impact to the university's overall um you know financial stability um, on top of that you have you know parents and teams and, and people that travel into fresno from out of town that stay here and you know buy things here and contribute to the local economy so it's going to negatively impact that um, you know, I think I, I kind of – I understand the rationale behind it, but um, it's going to be really tough, and, you know, I don't know if there's a solution. It's a little hard because, you know, we're talking about students here. We're not just talking about professional athletes, um, but I don't know if there is a NBA-style, um, you know, bubble-type solution that could be implemented. Um, but, you know, I think that it's, it's going to be really hard to, to take the hit. Um, locally so I'm bummed personally but you know it's it's gonna be tough
0: all right I just wanted to get your thoughts on that just just a real quick tangent on that as well and then as you say the NBA bubble I'm in the back right now watching game three of the the Lakers and Blazers right now I think the Lakers are slightly up LeBron's starting to look like himself again so this should be interesting real quick before we close out I'm just gonna give my food recommendation of uh, Fresno County for the week this is just all the county here I went into Sanger recently. I had myself some Big Mamas, which very unpopular opinion here. I think it's better than Chuck Wagon personally. So if anyone gets a chance that's listening, I see your face, James. That's pretty controversial, but you know what? That's what we're going to do here, get some controversial takes. Go to Big Mamas if you get a chance, support our local economy, support some local businesses. Uh, my name is Isaac. I want to thank Blake and James for coming on the show. Good luck to them and their races. And uh, again, I've been Isaac. That is my friend Nav over there, and that's how we're going to close out. We will see you soon.